Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today's guest is Brian Gross, the founder of Ichi. Ichi is a DAO or a decentralized autonomous organization which designs protocols that help other crypto projects participate in DeFi more efficiently. Specifically, they help solve the liquidity problem for automated market makers like SushiSwap. They are solving this problem, which I didn't fully appreciate in liquidity. We talked about why liquidity in decentralized exchanges is such a problem today and how they're uniquely solving this problem. This is a big deal. DeFi and decentralized trading and automated market makers are a huge cornerstone of the crypto market, the crypto landscape. And so solving the problem of liquidity, creating in a profitable incentive structure uh, for participants in liquidity providers for these exchanges is, is super, super important. So Brian was nice enough to describe how they're doing it and what he thinks the future is. Hope you enjoy. If you do enjoy this podcast and these episodes, please share it on the social network you're listening to, like, subscribe. Very much appreciate it. Here is Brian Gross. Hey, Brian, excited to chat with you. Um, I really enjoy what you're working on at Ichi. Uh, why don't we start there? Uh, in a pre-show, you were mentioning what you've learned from the project over the years, specifically as it pertains to liquidity. What, maybe just we'll start with what, what Ichi is, why you left uh, IBM, I think you were at last, and decided to help co-create it. Um, yeah, and welcome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, first of all, thanks for having me, Mike. It's, it's fantastic to be here. Dialing in from New York ahead of Mainnet. Ichi, um, it really, it, it began um, as I was working at IBM Blockchain, and we were focusing on tracking many things with blockchain, you know, uh, from shipping containers to mangoes, believe it or not. Um, and I always thought that it, the technology was best used for moving money, and I got IBM to join a network called Hedera Hashgraph. But in thinking about Hedera and the longer-term implications of how to secure these networks and get businesses to track on them, we really thought that you needed to have a, a, a method of making payments that the entire economy surrounding the network could rely on, and that that method of making payments should absolutely cause the network to be more secure as it's adopted. And that's why HE was originally created. So I left IBM to to kick that off. 
these days we we really focus and much what, more on liquidity, yeah. but that's how it started. So that early problem of tracking, how, how did you go about solving that? What, what was how did you sort of like first walk through the actual solution? Yeah, so the the real problem was that in a proof of stake network, you know, so this is a, a network where you you put your capital at risk to secure it. You know, if you don't run your node properly, somebody's going to take your stake, right? That stake needs to be really valuable. Uh, you need to accrue value to it. But what we noticed was that once real companies started to transact and settle transactions on the blockchain, they would typically use uh, dollar-pegged payment methods, maybe even completely off-chain methods. But if it was on-chain, it would often be a stablecoin. And that stablecoin was not what you were staking in the node. And so... We just, we needed to make a stable coin that would actually accrue value back to the node operators are the security assumptions of the entire network are somewhat flawed. And maybe take a step back for a second. So, so Ichi is a decentralized protocol. You have, what are the key components of the protocol and the, the purpose, the unique purpose of it? Like how, how do you? sort of think through like value proposition in the market. Yeah. So the, there are two, um, that stable coin protocol is called branded dollars. There's a second one that's really focused on all of this idle crypto in the world. So crypto treasuries have billions of dollars, crypto projects, users, ecosystem, people, uh, funds have hundreds of billions of dollars of crypto that basically earns no yield. You know, you, you, you can kind of hold on to it on the hope that somebody buys it from you later, provide it to a lending market, but people rarely borrow it. Uh, you could put it in liquidity, but the liquidity provision methods all turned out to be unprofitable. Uh, and so we made a system that basically enables you to grow the balance of any token by creating a vault that manages the liquidity on Uniswap P3. And so that's been very popular this summer. Uh, several a dozen or so projects have launched and many more are on the way. What's the definition of liquidity? When you say liquidity, what, is that, what does that mean? So liquidity is the money available for trading, right? So if you have asset A and you'd like to swap to asset B, but you would think that you just meet somebody who wants to sell the asset that they have for what you have, but that's rarely the case. You, you, you usually trade against money that has been placed there by another third, like for-profit actor called a liquidity provider. So the liquidity provider will put some of both assets in the market hoping that people trade against the money that they've made available for trading and then take a fee when they do. Uh, and so that's what I meant by liquidity. You can see then in, in why generally the problem yeah. that the uh, decentralized liquidity provision methods all turned out to be unprofitable is, you know, people will stop doing it, then there will not be liquidity and none of these systems will function. 
And why, so is it your statement that liquidity providers uh, are not profitable across the board or is there, and if so, why, why are they not profitable? Well, one, it, it, it actually, they really aren't that profitable in regular markets to begin with. I mean, there's a small spread between the bid and ask price, but uh, they often have uh, an allocation or a long position in one of the the uh, shares if it's like a regular market in, in Wall Street. In um, decentralized liquidity provision, that's when people put the money in a contract uh, running on Ethereum. That contract doesn't know the price of what they put in the contract. They said that it, the way it learns the price is when people buy the assets for less than what they're worth. That causes the price to rise, but it has the side effect of losing value. And so the amount of fees that people earned from doing this didn't um, outweigh the loss in value created when these arbitragers come in and you know, buy your tokens for less than market value. Okay. And why wouldn't the liquidity providers just raise their prices? Um, they, they really don't have control over the price. The price in a uh, decentralized exchange like Uniswap is determined by a, uh, a curve, price quantity curve that's encoded in the contract. Uh, so they, they don't have control over the price. Uh, if they did, that would actually be a really big security risk. Uh, so it, it's not it's not something that anybody has created. In, in normal markets, um, they they do control the prices, and in some new forms of decentralized markets, they do. Uh, but even if you, it, I guess there's another side side effect. If you give people control over the price, they actually have to do it, and they have to do it well. And that is incredibly complicated. So you would limit the number of people who could provide liquidity to more or less professional market makers. So there's the practical reason that the systems we're talking about don't support it. Then there's the bigger reason they don't support it because if you did it, uh, you actually change who you can use the system. Got it. Okay. So there's a, there's a security risk if in decentralized markets that liquidity providers had the, if they had the ability to change prices, that would be a security risk. But because the prices for liquidity providers on a curve, uh, which that curve was set by the creators of the spark contract initially, somehow it's still resulting in an unprofitable business for a liquidity provider. So the price on the curve wasn't correct somehow is that the right way yeah, to the, the the um well that's it's more or less fair um the way that the um i i, I would guess that um one of the reasons that they're unprofitable is it's very difficult to reason about profit and loss and and so they add more money than the amount of fees can support without realizing that as a group, they've added more uh, than is necessary and as a result become unprofitable. But 
I don't know. I never really, okay. really thought about that as much as just recognized that status quo, um, they weren't making money and that left very, most tokens, most coins, most projects of very poor liquidity. And this is, this is across the board, like, uh, throughout the crypto industry that there's just not really enough profitable opportunities for liquidity providers. Is that correct? Yeah. So the, uh, there have been two generations. The first was Uniswap. It's, it's a project called Uniswap. Uh, and they came out with an AMM called Uniswap V2 about three, four years ago. And it, it really didn't take off until this concept of liquidity farming happened. And in liquidity farming, projects would pay people extra incentives or bonuses to provide liquidity and it became profitable to do so. And so a lot of liquidity was added, but all of those rewards were inflationary, kind of like IOUs. So eventually people would cash them in and the project would crumble and it just wasn't sustainable. So it was profitable, but because it was being subsidized. Uh, the next generation was Uniswap V3 and it advertised that you could make your liquidity more profitable by putting the money closer to the price. So uh, in, in, in that exchange, you can't change the price of the asset is what I meant earlier, but you could change the price at which you allowed your liquidity to trade. And so people would just change that range. So it was a lot closer to the current price. Um, but when they did that, it, it actually meant that when the price moves, they sell far more tokens under market value than before uh, and suffer what the industry has coined in permanent loss uh, to a greater extent. And so they're actually not more profitable. They're just more efficiently both making money and losing money. They can do both faster now. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And what, what if, if I'm speaking to a liquidity provider today, what are they, what are they, what, what, what's their attitude? Are they feeling frustrated or are they feeling like this is a great time to be a liquidity provider? Are they focused on any particular technological change coming down the pipeline or, or feature set that would improve the situation? Well, many of them have just stopped. Uh, so okay. then looking at major assets trading on Uni V3, um, you might have a project whose coin or token is valued in the hundreds of millions of dollars, but there are a half dozen people, one dozen people that are bothering to provide liquidity. And then many times, and I don't know who they are, but maybe they're incentivized by the project in some way to do it. Maybe they work for the project or they're a market maker of the project, mm -hmm. but they're getting compensation outside of the system itself many times. Okay. And do you think that there is a, some sense and you feel like there's a general under capitalization, there's not enough money coming into these markets to provide good trading for traders. And, and so we're kind of in this liquidity drought. Is that correct? And then yeah, if we, so, we what solves it? Are, and I think even more importantly, um, you know, I, I, I used to run a, 
a financial services business with Amazon and the promise of this space was that you could program value online in the same way that we made systems that sent messages back and forth to each other to, you know, organize inventory or take orders. In the future, we could actually send money the same way as sending messages, but sending that money, that value requires liquidity. So without profitable liquidity provision, you put the promise of the entire space at risk. Because if you have to log in uh, with a username and password to some bank to trade these things, like logging into Binance or Huobi or Coinbase, um, you've kind of de defeated the whole point of the whole thing. Like ex aside from just traders speculating on assets, you can't make applications that interact with this value and transact or uh, run smart contracts against it as the, the liquidity is not there. So it really is a, mm. a problem for the whole industry. Um, and so that's why we pivoted to focusing on it and, and we did solve it. So, uh, we, we solved it by creating a new form of liquidity. I've called greedy liquidity. Um, and it greedy? basically worked. Yeah, greedy. I I, I want to come up with a better term because people might think greedy is a bad thing, but in this case, greedy is really good because if if the liquidity provider hey, we have the term we ha we have the term sharding. So if sharding can exist, then I'm sure uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sharding's way worse. Yeah, that makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and prop. Uh, so tell me, what is yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually like greedy. I think greedy has kind of a double connotation to it. Like we know the old school way of the word greedy, but tell me what is it and, and how you're thinking of it. Yeah. So, so basically the way it works is it, it figures out what you want to greedily accumulate. Right. And the way it does that is it only lets you deposit a single thing, you know, which would seem obvious, but all the other liquidity provision methods, you can deposit one of two or more assets and get back the same pool token. So no matter which one you deposit, you end up with the same pool token and therefore the system doesn't know which one you deposited, right? So that's the first problem we address is we like, okay, tell us which asset you want to greedily accumulate, right? And then the second step of it is it just simply won't, it tries not to sell too much of it, right? And this is also highly intuitive. Like if you know what asset they want and you sell too much of it, you may have a problem giving it back to them, right? And so instead the system will get, uh, it'll start subtracting, taking away liquidity of the asset you deposited if it's already sold too much. And then the last thing is if it, if it hasn't sold too much, if it has a healthy amount, uh, then it will place the liquidity really close to the price so you can earn more trading fees per dollar of tokens deposited. And so we, we basically thought of this algorithm and we, we implemented it. And now we've implemented it with dozens of tokens and it's working for all of them. So we're, we're just uh, pretty excited about it and beginning to get the word out.
So let me just try to repeat it back to you, make sure I understand this. So Ichi would be the market where people would come and they would deposit one. So they deposit Bitcoin into the Ichi marketplace. Yes. Yeah, so right. So far, pick, if you had Bitcoin and you're like, well, I, I'd really like to have more Bitcoin, then you pick a vault that you could deposit Bitcoin to. And that vault now knows that, hey, all of these guys have put in Bitcoin and it will track the, the, it will allow that Bitcoin to be traded for another asset because that's how you get paid fees. But if it starts selling too much of it, it'll stop selling Bitcoin because it knows what you deposited. And then it, if it hasn't sold much Bitcoin, it'll place the Bitcoin closer to the, the price. If that Bitcoin is trading against dollars, it'd be the dollar price of Bitcoin. If it was trading against another token like ETH, it'd be the ETH price of Bitcoin. But it'll put it closer to the price so that more people trade into your liquidity, the Bitcoin available for trading, and pay you fees. And so um, it's actually super, uh, it's a very intuitive algorithm because if I if I said to you, Guess what, Mike? I've got a hundred apples. I really need you to, you know, have the whole town buying and selling apples today. And you went to the, and, and at the end of the day, I need you to bring me back the apples you have left. And you go to the market and you start selling apples and you start buying apples from people. If somebody came up and said, you know what, I'm going to take all your apples. You'd be like, no way, because I have to deliver the apples at the end of the day back to the the guy who gave me the mandate to create a market for apples. I don't know. And, and you know that if you sold all your apples, you wouldn't be able to do that. But I, you know, I guess because uh, simpler designs were just easier to implement, uh, that just hasn't existed yet in DeFi. We're the first to make that. If you own crypto and leave it on the exchange where you bought it, like Coinbase, that is a mistake. We've heard the news lately. Exchanges closed, accounts frozen. We're learning the hard way that crypto on exchanges is not really in your control. So what can you do about it? Well, you can get a crypto wallet and control the crypto yourself. And that's why today's show is sponsored by ZenGo. These guys realize that storing Bitcoin and storing crypto yourself can be difficult. It's risky to keep private keys. They realized this and said there's got to be a better way. So they created a crypto wallet that is fully recoverable. So say goodbye to lost Bitcoins. And the security of this wallet is incredible. It's a hacker's worst nightmare. They use a three-factor authentication, including 3D biometrics, so no one can access your wallet except for you. And Zengo realizes that at different levels of the crypto journey, you have different needs. So they offer 27 support and have real people that are available to contact directly within the app. They have a bunch of different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and more, and they have all sorts of NFTs available as well. So now for the first time, you can keep your crypto safe with the same tools that the big guys have used for years. Download Zengo, that's Z-E-N-G-O, and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's $20 back for your first purchase of $200 or more. Use code ATC and check out Zengo. Why? So today you're saying that most people in your example are giving away or somehow trading all the apples at the end of the day. Like what? 
why on like uni v3 which is the latest edition say the apple price is a dollar a dollar an apple Mm -hmm. and you go and Mm -hmm. you tell uniswap at what price you're willing to trade apples so you can place the apples on uniswap v3 between 90 cents and a dollar and if people start buying the apples then they come and they swap their dollars for your apples if the price goes to 80 89 cents actually set it backwards but it say it goes to 89 cents at that point you only have dollars you have no apples left i actually set it backwards because the price would be rising if you were selling apples so be a dollar to a dollar 10 once it got to a dollar 11 all you would have is is dollars no more apples and as the price continued to rise of apples you would you wouldn't be experiencing that price appreciation anymore as you have no apples left. You only have dollars, and and that's how people lose money in this space. They they don't mm. move the prices around as uh, things trade, and they don't sell less as things trade. And we basically did an algorithm that would maintain that for them. So as as you decrease the number of apples somebody has, their price would would go up. Accordingly, and that would that would yeah, effectively so you, make you it. Imagine better. the example. Maybe you're you're making an incredible business, uh, selling apples at a dollar and one cent and buying apples at ninety nine cents. So all day long, you're making that two cent spread. It's fantastic. But then somebody comes up and they say, "I have a wheelbarrow. I'm taking all of them." And you find out it's because like the external apple market's a dollar 20 and now he's going to take all your apples for a dollar and 1 cent and sell them for a dollar 20 later today. Oh, okay. 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 Listen, listen, do- apples are now a dollar 20. You can't have them all. Right? So is like this is this kind of like it. um <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Uh so this is there's a, there's a funny meme I saw somewhere that explained how business school works and it, it was it was pretty good. It was like uh you know, this, these two ladies that were selling fruit uh, on the side of the road, and one of them had like, they're selling mangoes, and one of them had the mango for like a dollar each, and the other one had it for a dollar ten. People come up and they start buying it from the one with the dollar. And then the one at the dollar ten looks over and she sees that and she degreases it to 90 cents. And so people start buying yeah. from her. And then the original person with a dollar looks over and she, uh, buys all the ma- all the mangoes from the person at 90 cents now she owns all the mangoes and now she's raised it to two dollars for each mango so there's like a, a monopoly effect that happens and it seems to be a sa- similar market dynamic that what you're explaining which is if you oh, if you buy the market you then have the ability to set your own price is that a price uh, i mean the, the 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 i think that the main point is that there was an external price of mangoes and the the one person, the smarter person in your example, better understood that external price of mangoes and and was able to abuse their business counterparty with that knowledge, right? Hmm. And, and so the similar thing happens here. These automatic market makers don't know the price of anything. They just learn it as people go and trade with the contract. Uh, but since, 95 plus percent of trades are done by for-profit arbitragers. You can, you can bet that nine times out of 10, maybe more, 
you're selling something for less than what it's worth, right? And, and if and you provided both assets, then you're losing money both directions. And what our system did was simply make it one-sided so that now if, if somebody's taking your apples, you know that you're taking a little loss on that transaction. If somebody's bringing back your apples, you know you're getting a little gain on that one. And, and so you just adjust the algorithm so that you suffer fewer losses and you have more gains. And at that point, the trading fees are enough to make you break even. You'll still probably lose money if there were no trading fees, but now you can charge enough trading fees that you'll, you'll be profitable instead of unprofitable because you know what a profit and a loss is. Okay. So similar to what you were saying earlier that you said the liquidity providers were not making money because the curve that was set in the smart contract couldn't be edited. They couldn't set the price for security reasons. And the price was just wrong. Now you're, is that, is it that you have this additional trading fee on Ichi where people can add a fee and therefore be profitable? I just be more specific. Liquidity providers can add a trading fee and therefore become profitable. Um, it's just that when somebody's so what you'll find is that the other system was profitable as long as people traded both directions and it didn't, mm -hmm. you know, they can make that spread. Be, and so for 30 days in a row, you would be profitable, but then on day 31, the external price would change dramatically and you'd sell a lot beneath market value. And so. What this system does now is it better it it better detects uh, that runaway loss situation and just directly mitigates it. It says, you know, guess what? I, my my goal is to not have beneath eighty percent apples, and so once you've taken eighty, you know, twenty percent of my apples, I'm going to start charging a lot more for apples. It's going to be a lot more expensive to get the next ten percent or the next ten percent after that. Got it. And, um, got it. Got yeah, it. It just, it just protects you. Got it. Yeah. One of the more complicated yeah. topics. So I appreciate you explaining. Well, it's really, uh, it's really, I, I really enjoy the challenge of trying to uh, explain it, um, on basic terms. It, it, it's, it's such a complicated issue and, and people don't really know what's going on in these systems. It, you know, money's flying around all over the place and it looks like it's all working, but you know, if you go back and run a profit and loss statement, you realize why the, the real bankers and the real institutional finance hasn't entered yet because they, they've done the math and they know the risk. And you have to address these core risks to, to actually move the world to it, right? Now, what are people at like Uniswap or any of these market makers, what are they saying? Are they saying, are they acknowledging that this is a problem? And if so, is it actively something they're working on? Um, yeah, the entire industry has been trying to solve this problem for the last couple of years. Um, oh, okay. There have been many attempts. Uh, so, and, and maybe what we'll find out is that next month we really didn't solve it. But for right now, it's looking good. Yeah. Okay. And you say we, as in the community of all market makers, didn't solve it? Ichi. The Ichi project. Okay, Ichi. Got it. 
with the, and where is that, Ichi now? The, the, the three the three things we did differently was that you can only deposit a single asset. We try not to sell too much of it, and we concentrate it when we when we we haven't sold too much of it. I'm not aware, I'm not aware of anybody else that's tried that, so I'm hopeful that that is actually the solution. Um, to unprofitable liquidity provision. It's highly intuitive and, in many ways, but you know, that this is a this is a developing, rapidly developing space. And even if we solved it, maybe somebody else solved it better. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, from my perspective, <laughs> the more the more the better. Uh, yeah. And this is affecting normal people, or is it typically affecting just traders that are operating on the margins? I mean, if I'm going and trading. Would I notice this as a problem today or is it more or less? I, I think that where it shows up um, it, and kind of, you wouldn't directly connect these things, uh, but the result is that when crypto projects launch, there's often this run up in price, but then this long sell-off that occurs for the next year or two that demoralizes their community often causes the project to fail. And the the underlying cause of that is poor liquidity, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the expense of transacting and trading is what makes many business models that people want to build with crypto impractical. So the analogy I would use is remember when we used to do internet and it was like, like the Dallas internet, you can't make Amazon like or AWS on dial-up internet. I know that because I was working with them as we transitioned to broadband and that's what enabled those businesses to happen. I think liquidity is the broadband of web three for the real use cases to happen. You have to have a, higher bandwidth liquidity, right? And hmm. the thing that you're messaging is this value. And the way that those messages get translated, that get sent, they move from one ecosystem to the next, they enable DAOs to share value is with liquidity. So you really yeah. know it when you don't have it, but you don't appreciate it when it's there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that you and other people are working on this. Um, <laughs> I don't think I nearly uh, comprehend or had comprehended the scale of the problem. Um, where are you guys now in the development? So you've been around for a few years. How how do you measure progress? Is it on transactions per day or market cap or some 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 other metric? Yeah. So this latest approach we we launched it about. Uh, three months ago, four months ago. And since then, uh, around a dozen projects have launched with it. So that's in independent communities signing up to have their liquidity managed by our vaults. Uh, so yeah, we definitely want to see that number grow into the hundreds. And then um, also we want to bring in more of the um, the venture funds and hedge funds that you know, have a lot of crypto assets that aren't earning yield, this is a new opportunity for them to uh, improve the performance of their fund and deepen the liquidity for the entire, this Web3 ecosystem. So those are the two areas of growth we're focused on. 
And then as far as the project, when was it started? How do you measure progress? Is it on daily transactions or total value staked or market cap? And, and where are you, where's Ichi on those numbers? Yeah. So the, the, we, we really measure it by the number of uh, communities we're helping. So again, that's up to about a dozen. Okay. So a dozen community, is there a metric that would be more telling of the scale of the project? Are these communities like two people each or hundreds of people? Or, I mean, there must be some way to kind of give a um, sense for that, like, yeah, like how that, do you get paid and how do you, how do people in the team get paid? Oh, okay. I see. How does, all right. Yeah. The, um, the trading volumes, uh, are the next metric and mm. we, I think that with the current foundation expenses, uh, we probably break even on trading. Like the, it, the HE foundation gets a share of the trading volumes. It's a 10% share. Probably the foundation's expenses break even in the next 12 months based on that 10% share. So I think after that, at, at that point, it's more or less self-sustainable as it's, it's making more from all the trading fees as people swap from one asset to another, then it's costing to operate. Got it. Okay. So just so I'm understanding of the business model. So the, the foundation operates independently of the protocol, and then you and your team are working together or independently to grow the protocol, pushing up these updates to the software, and then you personally own each e tokens. And so as the protocol grows, those tokens will be worth more. Is that how you're thinking about personal financial uh, accrual? Yeah. So, um, my company is a contractor of the foundation and as part of its compensation, it did get some Ichi tokens. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and total volume today or total, where, where is it now? Is it in the can you give roughly or exactly? Yeah, I, 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 the, the, there's, um, I think around twenty million dollars deposited. But again, we're, mm -hmm. the, I don't, I don't think that's like a, a brag number. It's, we're, we're far more concerned. No, I'm, yeah, it's not it, the yeah. We don't focus on that heavily at the moment, as, uh, it's far more important that the it's safe, it's secure, that the communities that are using it uh, are able to rely on it. And then the, as more communities sign up, then the other numbers will take care of themselves. Yeah, it's like revenue. You can't focus on revenue. You can't grow revenue. No. You can only focus on the parts of the company that you can, you can affect, which is like improving customer experience of the product or et cetera. But yeah, it, I, it's good to know. I just wanted to get a sense for the, yeah. the scale of the project. Um, and this is a significant change. W what's your thoughts on like yeah, what, the community the at large? That, Do you have any? Of, yeah. I, yeah. And actually one of the things that I would say on that is, um, yeah, the, you, you know, this, that the first growth, uh, ahead of uh, a tipping point is the hardest, right? Once it's proven, there it has more time. 
you know, maybe it's, maybe it's been profitable while the other approaches haven't for three months. Okay. That's three months. Mm -hmm. Once it's been profitable and the other approaches haven't for a year, that's an entirely different situation. And the, the speed at which money will flow from unprofitable deposit locations into profitable ones can be very rapid once, uh, the evidence mounts. So again, yeah, once a color input, a winner is declared. Is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I don't really think that there's anything that little about value locked. It's just money looking for yield. So, um, we'll see, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. And do you think of other protocols as competitors per se? I mean, I guess, yeah, you would. Um, no, you know, so. I think it, cause the, the whole space is so small and it's not even working yet. The yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Competitors, the competitor is the status quo, the, the money yeah. by governments, the, mm -hmm. the financial systems that keep us from helping entrepreneurs and serving mm -hmm. like great swaths of earth, right? Like this is the, co the competition, yeah. not. Not yeah, not totally. Other people in our space just status quo. Well. Solve it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah what do you What do you think of the average retailer? So, say somebody has like some thirty percent of their net savings in crypto, like some significant percentage, and they're debating how to how to actually preserve it. They could put it on a USB port, put it in a safe, put it on a hardware wallet on their laptop, put it in a custody exchange like Coinbase. Do you feel it's uh, important for people to be thinking about? gaining a yield, getting a return on these stakes or not staked on their assets? Like, is it the vast majority of people who are staking and earning rewards? Or at this point, you feel it's more conservative. People are just storing it in their own uh, hardware wallets. What, what should people look to do for resale investors? Yeah, I'm not, um, I'm not really even a, a huge, I like, Retail getting involved with crypto as a hobby, as a curious person, but I'm not a real big fan of all of the speculation and price and portfolio management, like people thinking that this is their retirement plan or whatever. I it it it's just incredibly dangerous, right? Like there's so many ways that people can steal all your funds. You're basically interacting directly with APIs that were designed for programs, for platforms to use. And I think it, if I had, if I had to guess at this point, the crypto side of things, the ledger side of things is not getting simpler. It's not getting easier to deal with or navigate. The scams are getting more sophisticated, probably even run by state actors. People are getting their funds stolen right and left. Um, I, 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 you need a team of security experts to make sure that you're doing it right. And so in some ways I, I actually prefer that, you know, I don't, I would like, I want people's funds to be safe. Now, if they were able to deal with it all safely, fine. But if they're not, it might be better that they, that they just relied on services that depend upon the tech do have those security teams and do have those measures in place. So are they doing it with an amount of money that just isn't going to cause them to 
you know, hurt their family's legacy or hurt their chances for retirement if it goes bad. Right. So I just, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, the, I remember the 2017 crypto craze and there were a certain number of people involved that could really understand it and do it sinfully. Today, I think that number is smaller than it was in 2017 because the sophistication of the tax and the complexity of the space has grown so much that I, I, I just, I find it far more likely that, you know, interfaces like crypto.com, for instance, I have a crypto.com debit card and crypto.com account. That's probably how the hundreds of millions or billions of people end up dealing with crypto is that a company is with the appropriate licenses yeah. dealing with the, the people in the appropriate jurisdictions it, it, is actually communicating with the ledger underneath. And the way that it shows up for them is they're just getting a better deal. Like I'm, I'm paying less when I shop, I'm getting a better discount on the stuff I buy. I'm getting more yield in my savings account. I have more access to savings account for shopping vehicles than mm -hmm. I did before. You know, that type of thing. And, and, uh, yeah. And, and hopefully, I guess what I really hope it ends up is that, uh, people around the world can choose the money that they want to use rather than just being born into it. Right. Like they, mm -hmm. I think that it, that would be a great freedom for all of humanity. And it doesn't have to be delivered through private keys. It can totally, you can have a choice of money of crypto from, from any type of user interface. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So people are not, if they're hobbyists, they're not really that technical or comfortable managing their own keys, put it in a custody wallet, like Coinbase, crypto.com. As you said, most people yeah. probably interact with it that way. Do you feel that even for people who are more crypto familiar, keeping it on a hardware wallet versus putting in markets, uh, market makers to get returns, like what do you do? The main do thing that I your don't friends want people do? to think yeah, I just don't want people to think that because they picked a hardware wallet, they're just automatically safe because somebody will fake everything. Like the hardware wallet interacts with MetaMask. Somebody will create mm -hmm. a fake MetaMask that you can download. And if they intercept your message at that level, then they're going to send a signal to your hardware wallet that you will sign and you will lose all your money. Or they'll just fake the entire website. Like you'll, you'll think you're using Uniswap, but it's a fake Uniswap. Got it. Okay. Doing... So we'll assume, yeah, yeah assume, <laughs> let's say you, right? So you're, you're, what do you do? Like, what, so you have, say you have a uh, 50K in Bitcoin or some, some yeah. uh, crypto, would you feel, feel more comfortable putting on a hardware wallet and storing it? Or do you put it in uh, an automated market for yield? Well, the, the. For 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 me at this point, um, that everything would be multi-sig even. Like I, I can't even execute it on my own. It's going to require multiple people to sign it. Uh, so mm -hmm. just for me personally, it's kind of even beyond hardware wallet. Those multiple people probably all have hardware wallets. Uh, and even then, it all still feels really risky. Right, you still have to double check everything. The contract adjusts the actual function calls, replay the transaction, and see where the funds end up. I just, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I'm being a bit extreme, but I just really don't want people playing with amounts of money out there that they 
they can't afford to lose and somehow coming back and saying that I said it would be okay if they did this because Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Then, yeah. yeah, no, I think uh, I think most people <laughs> kind of feel, well, let's see. So think about it. Most people feel like there's a significant amount of risk associated with centralized crypto organizations after Celsius collapsed. I think that they, they Celsius attracted the very simple, casual investors to crypto with high yields and a great branded website that looked very secure. And, you know, why not use it? A lot of people did. A lot of people seemingly lost a lot of money because of how the funds were managed behind the scenes. Then there's the obvious, hey, like you're dealing with a loaded gun. You better be responsible. It's on you. And I think people, depends on the person, obviously, but many, many people feel comfortable taking the responsibility on themselves. Whereas I, I think people who would put money into an exchange, I guess, both both sets of people could put money that is too large to lose and they could, you know, lose the private keys or the exchange could get hacked and or they could mismanage funds. So there's risk either way. Yeah. But it seems like people are going to you. We want people to get into crypto. And I think it's uh, I think about it as what's is it better to just have the crypto in a, in a place that you feel is safe, whether that be managed by yourself or managed on an exchange, or do you think people should think about it as, hey, you really should be getting some return on the crypto that you have? Like, if you think about money on the on the fiat side, like if you had 100K in savings and someone were to say, I'm just keeping all that in cash in my checking account, I'd probably say that's, especially if you're young, it's probably a bad strategy. Like you'd want to grow, you know, you want to have return on that investment. And I, I tend to feel that, that that similar attitude should be applied in crypto, where like so out of all the crypto you have, probably want to return. So so I agree. By the way, now in the traditional financial world, um, if you if you went to your your brokerage and there was this fund, and it said, "I will earn you eighteen percent fixed yield." You know, you're going to ask the question, where does this yield come from, right? And there's going to be a really long investor perspective on exactly how they're doing it, right? And uh, those people have real reputations on the line, not just reputations, but laws surrounding that. And that there's that this idea of disclosure. So if you violate all that with a crypto savings platform and you say, Put your coins in here. I'm going to give you back 18, 20% yield. Where does the yield come from? It's DeFi magic, right? <laughs> well, that, come on. Yeah, that's like not that, a good response anymore. That's not the way that you don't put your money there, right? Don't do it. Like, yeah, yeah. I do think that there will be platforms that better explain the choices that they facilitate people making wise choices and the people should make the wise choices 
on the actual risk and those risks should be ex disclosed to them. Right. Right. And I right. do think that that will result in better savings rates, et cetera. But you don't want somebody pretending it's all safe and then taking massive risks. No, of in the course. Background. Of course. Yeah. I think at yeah. this point, and, uh, I feel people have learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> yeah. So I, the, 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 these things, um, I guess people, um, yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're beginning to see things structure and things grow. But what I would tell, would say is that, you know, now that I've worked in this space and, you know, I started with, yeah, probably more of the mindset, just about everybody should have their own keys. But at this point, you know, I don't know just one or two, half dozen, dozens of people who've lost six figures just signing away their funds, including members of our team, right? Advisors, people who know actually write the code. Like it's just that I just never want to be in the situation where a month from now somebody's like, Well, I listened to that and I set it all up the way you said and now my life Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. So, so I I uh, I think that the people who uh, are competent who want to take that risk on they they need to learn everything involved um, from yeah. somebody other than me. Yeah, yeah agreed. Yeah, I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't want to give, and I think by the way, I you know I've been to a gun safety class, and I don't think I've ever met a guy that was more concerned about the danger surrounding guns than the guy leading that class. Yeah. Right. Usually how it goes. Yeah. You know, so totally. that's the, the, I, so again, I think that I'm a big believer in freedoms. I want people to have the freedom of speech, write any software you want. I want them to have the ability, the freedom to organize, you know, join these DAOs, join these organizations, uh, support, support the, uh, the efforts that you like. And, and, um, ultimately I do think that they should have freedom to move their money around and do what they want with it. Absent a search warrant or, or some other government intervention. So let's do all of these things, but people just have yeah. to know the risk. Yeah, yeah. Government intervention that you agree with or that you, that is the justified one. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. If the United States, if the federal government would say, Hey, tomorrow all Bitcoin trading is, is illegal and banned and give it all to us. Like, well, then there's going to be riots in the streets. Brian, any particular yeah, books, yeah. people, uh, blogs that have influenced you? It kind of helps you learn more about the space or just maybe outside of crypto people or books or blogs that have influenced you? Yeah, I think, I think in, um, you know, now in the space, it's just, it, for me, it's, it's unfair. I get to talk with all the founders and other project teams and learn directly from the source. But in terms of one of the people who's, I think does a really good, um, job of letting you peer in is probably Laura Shen at Unchained. I think that that's probably one that I listened to for years before I joined the space because a lot of people will, will just geek out on the tech, but and I, I totally, uh, zero knowledge proofs and all this stuff, this stuff's fascinating tech, you know, but the, um, the governance side of things and the political side of things and the, you know, what it, 
you know, the future of money and society side of things, those things are just as interesting, if not more interesting to dig into. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I think somebody who has exposure to both the personalities and the tech and some of the visions and, and, you know, that, 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 that's, that's probably one good place to find it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sure there's more. And I just have us been watching as I have a front row seat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Laura, Laura is a, a good resource. Brian, congrats on all the progress with Ichi, man. I hope you guys continue to find success and adoption of, of communities using Ichi. And uh, yeah, keep me in the loop. Thanks for coming on today. Awesome. Hey, great questions. And thank you, Mike. It's fun, fun talking with you. I think we finally dug into what liquidity actually is or where it comes from. But yeah. We solved it. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate you. Yeah. I, I, I think Complex that stuff, but will... important to understand. But could you imagine trying to explain what the internet protocols were going to create in 95? But no way. Messages. I mean, yeah, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. Dude, this is, yeah, you have this to is, dumb it down. This is what we're in and what we're watching is how, what happens when you send money all over the place. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. It yeah. is. It is. And not managed by any central place. All right, man. I'll let you run. Thank you so much. Cheers. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Reach new career heights with University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business. Flexible MBA and MS options. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired, fearless, unstoppable. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.